What did you eat for breakfast? I had cornflakes with um, milk, and it was very nice, crunchy, tasty. Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms, the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 71. Sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and a range of other services. Go to theskinnyarmadillo.com to learn how they can help you get your merch business to the next level. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps the podcast get in front of more people just like you who want to learn from the successes, strategies, and failures of artists and entrepreneurs that I talk to. I really feel that the information coming from those guests is exceedingly valuable for the musicians community and anyone wanting to pick up tips from other people's experiences. We are both guitar nerds and we both left the UK to live in North America. Dan Clayton is an acoustics engineer based in Calgary, Canada that also records his own music, mixes others, and is the founder of Fret Success an online resource for guitar players looking to improve their skills. Dan shares his journey from asking his parents for saxophone lessons and inheriting his dad's guitar instead, opening for some popular touring bands in the UK, and why he moved to Canada. We also have a pretty nerdy gear discussion about guitars, amps, plugins, and pedals. I've been doing a lot of internal processing lately, listening to various podcasts about social change, business, and entrepreneurship, and I'm looking at social media feeds continue to include social justice narratives. That being said, what you see and hear totally depends on what you focus your attention on. My point is, no matter how good or bad you think the situation is in the world, you're probably right. I've talked on the podcast about meditation and the benefits it can have in the past. Lately, I've been slacking off and not setting aside time to work on that. But having just had a recent test result come back negatively, I have decided to get back on the horse and try and build a habit of meditating once a day. Given my fibromyalgia experiences, I will largely be concentrating on pain relief and relaxation, but I will also be setting some time aside to work on meditation practice for mindfulness and focus. This leads me back to the subject I have been threading through these last few episodes, which is that while it's still critically important that you find ways of leading others, Supporting Black Lives Matter, LBGTQ, and other human rights issues, making sure you are registered to vote, then exercising that right, and generally finding other ways to help your communities, and influencing a positive change in culture no matter how small. The greatest change you can make is to work on your own psyche and improve your emotional intelligence, strength, and moral compass with which to lead others. Be the change you want to see in the world. Thank you for listening. Uh, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I am joined by Dan Clayton of Fret Success. How are you doing? Hi, Simon. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good, thanks. Awesome. 
So could, if you, yeah, if you could just uh, start off by describing, you know, what Frex Success is and, you know, what do you do day to day for a living? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wear a few hats. Um, so let's start off. Frex Success is a recent thing of mine in the past three, four years where I've been, well, I used to teach guitar years and years ago, more regularly, personal private lessons, called driving from house to house, which I got fed up of. Um, just because I was driving around too much and didn't have much time in the evenings. So mm -hmm. I decided to move it online in 2016 and start to do more of the course type stuff and online tuition um, and then moved to Canada from England. And that kind of helped me kind of move because it was all online, didn't have to worry about students too much. So I had a few um, personal kind of private tuition people um, but I wasn't really focusing on that at the time and um, wanted to create this kind of brand of fret success and move it online and try and make lessons more accessible for everyone not just um, for paid people but for people just starting up that don't necessarily have the budget to learn so that was the kind of mantra behind fret success uh, itself and uh, yeah it's, it's been going well really so um, I've just been creating more and more online content um, but on the side, I, I don't just do guitar lessons. I, I'm a videographer and kind of work on that. And I've also got a background in acoustics, uh, recording, engineering, that sort of stuff as well. So it all kind of comes together and I kind of generate income, if you like, from all those different places. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I have more of a focus on my guitar stuff now just because it's picking up a bit more uh, traction. People are getting noticing it more. And I've been switching more to kind of uh, interview type stuff um interviewing key musicians and people in industry and meeting a few of my kind of musical heroes through that process which has been really cool and enlightening um so it actually taught me a lot of stuff throughout the process so it's been a really cool journey so far um so yeah awesome um and then you've also been in a few bands over the years by the looks of it um uh, i think it is the earlier one in the uk the switchboard spectacular yeah, so I've been in a few bands over the years. Um, so Switchboard Spectacular was one that I was in, in years and years ago where we we did okay. We got um, decent kind of local radio play and played quite a few decent support slots. Uh, that was more of a kind of mainstream kind of um, more on the poppier side of things. Um, mm -hmm. And it kind of developed over time to, to get us decent support slots with likes of um, the frontman John Fratelli from the Fratellis um ash the band ash so uh, bands from a few years ago but pretty cool slots that we were playing mm -hmm. uh, but that was about i'd say maybe 10 years ago now and that was in the uk mm -hmm. and then i was uh and still work on stuff with the band we like humans which is more of a kind of heavy hard rock kind of metal pop punk type sound yeah um more of like your rise against type uh, kind of vibe um which has been really cool been listening to it a little bit and i i even the newer stuff to me is is kind of like therapy meets breaking benjamin yeah no if I, you want to get yeah, close yeah. to that you know i did definitely hear some ben, breaking benjamin yeah that's interesting because so. they're a band that i came across relatively recently in the past two three years um mm. no i've heard that before that's that's interesting i've got a friend who's a big breaking benjamin fan and he's he always tells me that sort of stuff so cool yeah it's, it's interesting where i kind of pull my influences from and i'm never really directly influenced it's like you know i don't idolize someone individually it's more just like the creation of music comes out of me as like just 
a kind of a, a melting pot of everything that I've listened to over the years and it just kind of comes out. It's not like a conscious effort to sound like someone or anything. So it's 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 really interesting to hear other people's interpretations of the mm. music and, and stuff. So Absolutely. So what um what got you into music and guitar in the first place? You know, what was your what was the uh was there a specific band or, or guitar player that you said, Oh, I really want to do that or like how did that come about? So the first instance of me playing guitar was I really wanted to play saxophone and I was at home and told my parents I want to learn saxophone. I was I must have been about eleven or twelve, something like that. And my parents were like, Oh, saxophones are really expensive. And my dad played guitar a bit, he'd been in a function band and stuff, and we had guitars in the house. So they were like, I want you to show us that you can play and learn, you know, an instrument, have the dedication to do it. And I was still quite young. I was like, okay. So I kind of picked it up and started to play along with my dad's like cheesy backing tracks for the likes of Ghostbusters and Katrina and the Waves and all those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. I started to do all that sort of stuff. And then it kind of just spurred from there. And my dad's was an influence on me musically just from um, not really playing. He was always kind of there, but he kind of retired a long time ago doing that sort of stuff. So it was more the music he listened to. So a big band that influenced me and made me really take the guitar a lot more seriously and be inspired was Dire Straits, Mark Knopfler, Dire Straits. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to listen to that. There was a live album, was it called? All, all the, Up All the Night or something like that. Um, and it was it was awesome. Like I, I was in, It was infectious watching Mark Knopfler play. Um, so there was him really kind of made me think, wow, guitar's amazing. I really want to learn this. And just, it was just so technical, but not like, it wasn't like shred and too much. And, and I love that sort of thing. But mm. the thing that appealed to me, was he was very vocal with his guitar and it was very lyrical, right. if that's a word, kind of melodic. And it, it really infected me and, and really made me thought, wow, I, I love this. And then moving on from there, I kind of, switched to more technical people like I really got on board with Joe Satriani's stuff um he was a big influence on my early days you know learning those surfing with the alien and Satch boogies and stuff and that was kind of a progression from there but I always had this kind of nod to Mark Knopfler there's always it's there now and I still pick up and listen to his new stuff which is completely different to Dire Straits and just it's infectious the way that he always Mm. talks about guitar and it really uh yeah it sticks with me now so that that was how i did it and then i kind of picked up the sax like maybe like six seven years ago and played that a bit but it was weird how i just forgot about that whole thing and just ended up buying guitars amps and just going straight down the guitar journey it was just like wow mm. i just i was infected but i just couldn't believe that i i just picked up and so i'd proved myself that i could learn the instrument but i didn't really want to go and do it at the time so that was the kind of foundations of when i started fantastic yeah my my dad had you know, Clapton and and Die Straits records, and you know they they had the uh, I don't know if you're a um, Terry Pratchett or Neil Gaiman fan, but if you've read um, uh, oh what's what's the book? I have two copies of it too, the one that was just on Amazon uh, uh, on Amazon. Oh, I don't know. My girlfriend is a massive fan of Terry Pratchett. She would be able to tell you straight away. Good Omens. So that there's a line in Good Omens that says. Yeah, the guy's got a cassette tape in his car and every cassette tape that magically turns into Queen's Greatest Hits because everyone <laughs> has it in their car. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. So we had that. And uh, yeah, no, Satriani's a huge influence on me. Um, you know, one one day my dad brought home a, uh, you know, they I'd started playing and somebody at his work gave him a mixtape of Satriani and that was it. And I saw the Extremist tour in London. 
Um, so that was really cool. So yeah, um, what made you move to uh, Canada? What made me move? Um, my girlfriend and I had been on holiday or vacation, they call it over here, um, mm -hmm. many times to Canada, maybe four or five times in the grand scheme of things, quite a lot probably from the UK. Uh, just touring Western Canada and we just kind of felt we had no kids and it was just kind of a good time to to move. We were young and if you're under 35, it was it's a good way to get in because it's a point system type thing. So mm. uh, you've got like a heavy weighting towards younger kind of relatively qualified people. And so it was a good time to come in and, and do that. And we were in a good place in our life that we just thought, yeah, we love it. And we love the mountains. So we moved to Calgary and it has been great. Like I love being outside. I have a kayak now, probably going to do that later today. And it's just great. I mean, the winters are quite cold. <laughs> it gets <laughs> to like minus 40 degrees, um, only for like a yep. week or so, but it's consistently minus 20 throughout winter. And yeah, it's, it's a completely different way of doing things. And, but you just get on mm -hmm. with it and being from England anyway, I'm kind of used to, you know, not great weather. So it's, it's, it's fun. right. Yeah, I mean, I'm from the south coast of England, mm -hmm. and we lived, uh, regular listeners will know, I, I lived for a long time in uh, New Hampshire, so I didn't get used to the winters, that's why I'm in Texas now. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I definitely hear that part of Canada is absolutely gorgeous. So, um, yeah, so um, what is your general plan, I guess, uh, for fret success and you know, what What do you do in the acoustics industry now or like? Yeah, I can kind of go through some of that. So fret success, my plan is to really just create good content for people to pick up the guitar. I am I kind of really inspired to teach people that A, can't really afford it. I have a lot of people that are in India, based in India, and they message me through Instagram and email me directly. And I just kind of help them out and give them a steer is the best I can. Um but yeah, getting, getting more students would be great. I'm kind of in a position now that having online ways of doing things, Skype, Zoom, etc. Uh, I picked up a couple of lessons, a uh, pick of kind of regular students now um, and really want to maybe do more of that. Uh, awesome. I'm really keen to find people that are really passionate to play. I don't just want to teach people that are going to be like a lesson every six months or something. I really want people mm. to be regular and I can actually help them develop. And the recent students I've taken on a are really progressing really well and it's uh, it's really rewarding to me just having people that are dedicated and just want to learn like I, I don't want someone I, I taught people years ago where they were kind of just doing it and you know younger kids that were more like just parents were wanting them to do it rather than them wanting to do it so that that really fulfilled me very much so that's kind of the plan for fret success but also um I want to delve into more of the gear review type stuff so i've been doing more of that mm -hmm. sort of stuff um i recently had a guy on who makes wooden guitar picks from treepicks.com i've got an episode mm -hmm. going out on my youtube channel and um that was really interesting found him through like a facebook ad and they plant a tree for every pick that they that you buy so That's and cool. then that was that was an eye-opener like i'd never even heard of wooden guitar picks and when i played with them it just mm -hmm. opens up this whole kind of tonal thing you can just adjust especially on acoustic guitar it was just yeah. incredible. But even the different woods and just using a wooden pick, it was just the, the feel. I really want to get more into helping people spread the message of kind of unique products. So that's quite a, a key mm. aim of mine. But also interviewing like artists, I'm trying to do that kind of balance. So um, having fun doing that, a lot of fun. Um, Great. But yeah, moving on to like the acoustic side of things. 
Um, so yeah, I've got a degree in acoustics. Um, I did it at university, kind of specialized probably way too soon. So it's just like an applied physics mm. degree. Um, mm -hmm. So doing everything from room acoustics to environmental noise, vibration, all that sort of stuff. Um, done all of those in my career so far. So um, doing schools, recording studios, hospitals, um, concert halls a little bit at the start of my career, but that tends to be quite specialized. I was working for a certain consultancy. Um, and then moving to more environmental noise, so working on like wind farm projects, oil and gas projects, aviation projects, uh, railway projects, um, anything that makes a noise sound. Uh, so yeah, I tend to be able to throw kind of my skills at that sort of thing. And it helps me on the kind of engineering side. So recording my own music has always been a passion of mine and having that ear and that training in the acoustics world and how to make things sound good and frequencies has always stuck with me and is really starting to help me now because I can now just record a single in a weekend and be like, yeah, let's put that out. And it, and it sounds, I get great feedback. It's like it's been recorded in the studio. So it's just kind of, I'm in a good place where everything's kind of coming to fruition and getting to a good place where I can kind of do everything in house. And it's, it's good because I can do it, but then other times I'm like, I can do it. So, um, I, I'd, you know, I sometimes I'd like to have the budget to pay people to do it, but it gets a bit demanding and overwhelming, but, right, right. but I enjoy it as well. So that's my problem is that I enjoy doing it so much that you're like, Oh, let's do everything. So. Yep. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that, that's the, uh, that's really, you know, entrepreneurship in a, in a nutshell. You, you sometimes, you just don't know when to give up the reins for certain things and you're bootstrapping to the point where you're running yourself into the ground. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, let's let's talk. Since you are an you know an acoustics engineer, I mean, let's let's uh, let's say someone's setting up their own you know home recording studio. What what are the things that they have to um, you know think about uh, in a, in a room where they're where they're listening and where they're recording? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. All all these discussions tend to come down to budget. But mm -hmm. um, if I'm making recommendations for someone that's a home recording studio. I would advise trying to not go above and beyond what you can afford and keeping things simple. Um, making things sound, I mean, if you could have like a, a purpose-built facility, that's ideal, but not a lot of people have. Or even just a room you can do it in. Um, mm. But making things sound as dead as possible is a good idea. Um, and I don't mean just putting carpet on the walls. That's not a good idea. <laughs> um, you have to be kind of unique clever about it a little bit but not not spending a lot of money so there's there's ways you can do it like if you just like if you want to record vocals for example um a good way i found of doing it is having the mic set up in a wardrobe or closet and face kind of into that like um, where i am which is exactly the dentist like room in my yeah. house because i've got so many clothes in it yeah so the, what we need to do is it, the way like acoustics it's complicated but in the in the kind of immediate es essence of figuring it out is reverberation is the thing you need to control and early kind of reflections in the space. Mm -hmm. um, so the deader we get that, the better. And the smaller the room, the less soft stuff you have to have in the room. Um, so if we just put carpet on the wall, it's quite thin and it only dampens the very, very high frequencies. So you'll still get kind of a boom to the noise, uh, to the sound mm -hmm. in the room. Um, so it's important to kind of put as much stuff in as you can um, so I've recently built my own acoustic panels to go up, but I just used like regular insulation because I was building a greenhouse at the same time and I was putting insulation in the bottom to keep it warm. So I used like R12 rated insulation and just like some simple like wood framing, same like four inch 
wood framing uh one by four and then kind of covered it with um you know like hessian type stuff mm-hmm. um, and that works great so what you need to do is there's quite a common misconception that recording vocals say you have to you know sing into these kind of pop shield not pop shield the, the kind of like uh, absorber things you know that kind of yep, loop yep. go in front of you but the problem is the most sensitive part of the mic is the bit you're talking into so mm-hmm. all the reflections and you know stuff from the room that you don't want to hear is coming from behind you and kind of above you so if you're kind of blocking the front that's kind of useless because that, that's the like least sensitive part of the mic most of the time because no one's using like an omnidirectional it's mainly a cardioid shape so that's what we kind of need to focus on is getting sound from all around us um and one way of kind of being a bit more practical about it, if you're recording guitars and stuff is having kind of portable um panels diffusers and stuff um mm-hmm. but there's one thing i came across very recently because the the thing is if you get a lot of people spend money on like their monitors get great monitors and spend loads of money on them like genelex and all sorts you know a couple of thousand dollars or something and then they've got a room that sounds like crap and it's it's like it's right. so important to get the room sounding right and I, I can't stress how much you can spend so much money on speakers if the room sounds wrong you, you're mixing blind half the time um even mm-hmm. if you've got a good ear you, you still bass frequencies can cause havoc uh, if you've got a subwoofer, that's even worse because if you put that in the wrong place, it can, can cause crazy stuff to go on. Um, but we want to, in the real essence, try and absorb as much of that sound as we can. Um, often in a room kind of home recording situation, they've not really got the option to you know, design the dimensions and all this sort of stuff. And it's very much, it is what it is. So we need to soak up as much of that sound, in my opinion, and kind of just try not worry about making things sound good in the room just kind of make it dead and we can add after that um one thing i came across very recently was a new um plugin which i think it's called nx something nx2 or something uh, by waves and it's a headphone simulator um what it does is it makes it sound like you're mixing on monitors mm-hmm. but it takes down the frequency response of your headphones and corrects it and my mixes since using that because i use headphones a lot just because I have like a not a great room at the moment, um, but my mixes have improved so so much. Like just by having that plugin, I think it was like twenty five dollars or something, and you can select these things, and it, it's so realistic. It just takes out this kind of this kind of room influence, and it's definitely worth trying if you if you can do that. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think what else to cover. Really, do you have any other specific questions? It's such a big topic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that's uh, great information. I mean, we'll definitely have to uh, get the link for that software, and I, I definitely want to try it. Um, yeah. But what I did, what I did hear you saying about the, uh, the you know the those big um, vocal diffuser things, what you really what you're really saying is you need a um, a Rick Moranis helmet from Spaceballs yep. to wear on yep. your head to absorb the. That, I th- ah, I found something we can market. um but no i mean so how how do you record your guitar are you are you going uh are you miking up cabs with different mics or are you using plugins like how how are you doing it it depends a lot of the time i'd say 30 percent of the time i'm using a plugin i love Mm -hmm. the prs supermodels plugin i think it's amazing Mm. like honestly amazing for the price and it's just you can record late at night and not have any worry everything set up it just works you can just and then afterwards after the fact you can kind of tweak it and stuff i use that about 30 percent of the time otherwise i'm using i have a 4 by 12 orange rock of herb kind of 100 100 mm-hmm. head so i can keep that quite quiet because it has like um power switching 
on the back and it has an attenuator yep. on it so I can keep it quite low and still get a good sound even though it's valve. So I tend to use um, this mic I'm speaking in which is the AKG C214 which is like the you know the industry standard 414 but it's a cardioid version. Um, so I put that kind of, okay. I don't get too close too close to the grill. I kind of keep it maybe six to eight inches off it, a little bit off center, kind of not pointing straight at it, kind of, you know, not perpendicular. So just off center a bit and on an angle, still pointing at the cone. And then uh, I, I sometimes use an, an Audix bass drum. I think it's the D6 bass drum mic that I have just to get that kind of low okay. frequency. It gives it kind of a, a good kind of low frequency rounding at the bottom um, and put that, a little, put that a little bit further back. It doesn't really matter because it's a low frequency mic, so it doesn't really matter too much, right? Because um, it's not that direct directional. So, um, but I tend to keep things quite dry, um, and then add stuff afterwards um, in terms of effects. Um, but yeah, keep it quite simple, really. Put it straight in, and then when it comes to EQing, I'm I'm very much a cutting person, so I find horrible frequencies, crank them right up, put right. the Q factor right narrow, really narrow. And get them right high, and get get rid of the horrible fizzles, the horrible rings, the horrible kind of honks. Get them really mm-hmm. loud so they're obnoxious, and then cut them right down, and then kind of bring them up until it's kind of balancing itself. So I never tend to boost uh, EQ because you kind of add noise to it right, um, right. that way. Yeah, no, so that, I'm always doing that. That's a technique I've been trying here and there on the podcast too. Just getting rid of those nasty frequencies. I did see that. What what DAW are you using? I use Pro Tools. Pro Tools. Okay. Um, but Reaper's a great one. I've used that before. I've worked a lot with 360 sound and and did that in more of my kind of acoustics world. Um, but in spatial audio, I used that. But that's like sixty dollars for a license, and it's free. I think mm-hmm. initially, uh, Reaper's is. really really powerful for what it is. Um, but yeah, I've got Pro Tools just for sharing about the industry and you know getting files. I do mixing for people occasionally, and so it's just easier to get everything in a in a in a session from Pro Tools. It just tends to be more widely. Used. But yeah, it's my go-to. Right. It's for good sure. in some ways, and not. It's not great for MIDI editing. I don't like it for that. But you know, I don't do too much of that. But, um, but when it comes to acoustic guitar, um, I'm more of a budget man. So I honestly, recently, I've been throwing and have done a lot throwing a duvet cover, like a duvet over my head, mm-hmm. like two kind of mic stands. I'm in there with the mic duvet over, and it sounds great. Like honestly, just getting rid of all the reflections. It's cheapest, oh. cheapest chips and. Uh, it sounds great. You're just getting rid of it. So that, that's what I do. I have the mic maybe, again, six to eight inches off the sound hole, kind of just kind of off on an angle, down the neck a little bit, pointing towards the sound hole. But I, I have headphones on, and you kind of balance for the kind of sound you're going for. But, um, yeah, quite could be quite simple. Just to, All you need is a good mic. Spend money on a good mic. I mean, I use the Focusrite Scarlett 2i2, which is a really cheap sound card, and it sounds great. Mm-hmm. It's really cheap. So spend all your money on a mic, I would say. That's what you need to do. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely uh, experienced that recently. I mean, I've I've had a couple of sure, like I've got an F- SM58 uh, and um, just found it really compressed for for speaking on the podcast. So I've just got this, uh, uh, what is this? Uh, Audio Technica AT twenty twenty, okay. and I'm much preferring the 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 range that it gives me. Um, but I haven't I haven't used it yet for recording any any instruments. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, my experience with plugins is 
I really like the the diversity. You can you know you can put the dry signal in and 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 play with your heart's content. But honestly, I just shove my SM58 in front of my cab. I've got a, a Mark Tremonti head. I can't get a bad sound. Yeah, and I just dump that straight in, and I'm like, yep, done. So I don't have to mess with it. And the other the other thing I really don't like about plugins is the latency. I just can't play with latency. So mm-hmm. even when I know I need to use a plugin for a certain thing I don't have, um, I'll I'll play along with the track with the amp and record a DI so I get the feedback of my playing, but then I'll use the DI signal and I won't I won't worry about the actual recorded, you know, amp, but I'll just use the DI and I just find it that I just find it more natural playing that way. Yeah, latency is a funny so, one. I, I hate it and computers are better now. They're better at it, but I find I still treat it when I use a plugin very much in a traditional recording sense where I will, I can tweak it afterwards, but I don't tend to. It's very much like I'll get the sound mm. and guitars will be one of the first things I probably lay down most of the time. So I'll get that, get the sound right, and then I'll pretty much commit and, and that plugin will be set and it'll be like I've recorded a guitar in an amp. So um, it's just for like lesson content. It's just easier sometimes afterwards where you want to tweak the sound or chop and change it and don't have kind of the noise from the amp while you're talking. So it tends to be more for that side of things rather than recording a single or something. I tend to use the amp cab kind of mic setup. I agree with you. But yeah, an SM58, I mean, I've used that before, 57. They're great amps, uh, great mics. They work great with most amps. Um, uh, yeah, I just, I use what I have. There's mainly, I can tend to just have this vocal mic because I wanted to make good vocal recordings and I shoved it in front and thought, well, yeah, that works. So. Right, exactly. Um, cool. So what's been your, um, I mean, you, you don't have a, a, am I right in saying you've, your, your uh, podcast slash YouTube um, video, it's only got, uh, you're in second season, so you don't have a ton of content yet. Yes, but I, I just I just watched the Sun Amp one, or the I listened to it in the car. Um, have you have you discovered a favorite amp yet, or like is it mainly amps? Is it going to be just everything, or it's going to be everything? Um, I'm gonna I want to in- interview artists as well. Um, that's going to be a fifty fifty. So I want to do more gear stuff, more guitars. Favorite amps. I mean, there's new good amps coming out all the time, and that's what's exciting mm-hmm. about being in this industry and wanting to see the new gear. And I kind of fell out of touch with it over the past few years, and really became conscious that I wasn't up to speed, and it was something that I loved. So this process of just interviewing people and talking and sharing the stories of new equipment coming out is very, very exciting, and uh, and keeping me more on my toes. Um, I mean, I had a Marshall. TSL 100 for years and it was great it was mm-hmm. good um, but it was fraught with problems it kept having like mainboard problems and stuff and quite noisy um, sounded great I mean it was more great for like the older kind of blues stuff on the crunch sound and I think the amp was trying to do too much at once it was like a three channel mm. amp and the clean never excited me it was more like putting a you know guitar through a PA system it was kind mm. of dull and simple and didn't have any sparkle and then I was kind of searching for amps for years. I was like, oh, I might get this. I might get that. And thought I might go on the, the Mesa route or the Randall route. Uh, Fender. I've never I've never been a big Fender fan. Uh, I, I like it for certain things, but it just wasn't in, in my wheelhouse as the styles that I wanted to go into. It wasn't. It had that sound. It was very like. You, you weren't shiny. into cutting people's heads off. Yeah. Too too harsh. <laughs> too 
jangly and it, it wasn't yeah, i wanted more like a mellow good distortion with a bit of mm. bit of edge but not i find them a bit brittle fender amps um and then i learned way more about fender amps and guitars recently i watched the uh, listen to the uh, audio book. Is it Bore the Birth of Loud or something? It's amazing. Like, listen to it. It's about the story mm. of Les Paul and uh, Leo Fender and all that sort of stuff. It's about a 10-hour audio book, but it was, it was awesome. Um, but yeah, anyway, back to amps. It, I recently came across the Orange Rocker Verb 100, and I've always thought about Orange and thought, oh, they're a bit out of my price range, but I had a good year gigging and thought, screw it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what this is like, and then tried it out, and it was... It's just unreal. Like the the clean is the right balance of sp- kind of sparkly and good top end, but you can drive it if you want. Um, and has this kind of the distortion is just face melting. It's just, but it's not. I find sometimes amps like Mezabugi are a little bit smooth for me. I prefer to mm. have a bit more bite in the mid range, and uh, the Orange amp just delivers it to me. Um, so I play that most of the time through a Marshall cab, which was my TSL, but. Um, it's a 1960B cab, but I put some extra kind of uh, absorption mineral wool inside of it to kind of tone it down just because I'm okay. obsessed with acoustics and stuff. I just kind of did that. <laughs> and, um, it came out sounding great, tighter, and uh, I, I love it. So that, that amp is my general go-to and the one I'm most excited about, even though it came out like a few years ago. I do like the orange amps, um, but still always mm. looking to, to to try new amps. There's so many out there. It's, it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've I tried. Like, it's funny you mentioned that about the Mesa because I tried the uh, TC100 uh, a few years ago, and the store the store switched out the tubes for me to to see the uh, you know the difference between the EL EL34s and the uh, 6L6s, and mm-hmm. I preferred the 6L6s in it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I I totally agree. This it that you couldn't get a bad sound out of it, um, but it was a bit of a smooth distortion. I will say that. Um, what I did, so I've got a, a Carvin V3, one of the really early ones mm-hmm. without the reverb. And so I had, I had a two by 12 that my dad built way back. Um, and I think it had G tens. Okay. Uh, I think it was G tens in that. And so I swapped them for a, a cream back and a, uh, I forget the other one, but it, it was whatever, um, whatever the invective cab is, is the speaker drivers I put in it. And it's, it, it just transformed the sound. And then when I, when I got my PRS head, I, it's just perfect. Yeah. Like I couldn't be happier. I, I love the sound of the PRS amps. I forgot to mention them, but yeah, I'm a definite fanboy of all of their stuff. So have you, have you, uh, play, can, have you played a lot through the, uh, Oh, what's the big one? Drawing a blank. What's the big PRS amp? There's the Archon amp. The Archon. Yeah. Have you, that, have you played that, extensively through it? I haven't played through the amp. This, this is me listening to plugins. So the, the PRS Supermodels has an Archon on the Supermodels. Um, and I love it. Like, it, it's it's great. It's kind of that, it's almost like, yeah, a Meza with more bite, I find. It's, mm-hmm. kind, it's kind of got that good sound. Yeah. I mean, I just bought the Orange and then started to delve into, thought, oh, PRS do amps. And I was like, I've already spent too much money already. So um, right. I was like, but no, I. No, I, no I you haven't. <laughs> yeah no that's true I talked to my girlfriend about that but um right it's, uh no I, I i love the prs stuff and that was my kind of compromise i was like i want to get some archons and try them out but um i haven't had a chance to go see, see to play them live i just with the online content click you know check on youtube and listen to them and yeah they're so cool and i just love the way that um 
Paul Reed Smith talks about making stuff, instruments, mm-hmm. amps. I had the pleasure of meeting him, it was about three years ago in Blackburn in the UK. He came and did like a store meet and greet and I went down and mm-hmm. he signed my scratch plate. I just bought the custom 24, you know, a couple of years before and uh, always wanted it, always saved up for it and got there. And he was such a nice guy just listening to him talk about he is. just this kind of, and he's not, he's not, a, he's not a knob about it. He just, he loves it. Like yeah. he just, what is the, he just wants to make great guitars. He's making guitars that we love even better. And there's always this, he's a great speaker. It's just infectious to kind of watch and, and take him in. So anything he makes, I'm always looking and always wanting to buy more guitars, which is just financially unviable. So, no, right. Yes, I haven't. I haven't managed to uh, afford a, a core. I do have a, a Mark. Uh, Mark, uh, what is it? A Myers, um, SE. The uh, what's yep. his name? Zach Myers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a. Is it three eleven? I'm not really a three eleven fan. I just really like that guitar. Um. But yeah, I've I've met Paul a couple of times. Um, I don't know if you've heard of uh, John Mann. Um, so in yep. New Hampshire, yeah. So I I lived like twenty minutes away from his store. So oh, I cool. I I had the had the fortune the fortune of him having about ten in stock at one time. So we he dragged them all out of the closet and we weighed them and we looked at the flame on them. I mean they're only you know under a grand, but I I got to choose the right the one I wanted. So. Um, which was really cool. And John, if you're listening, I want to get you on the podcast. I love the SE, by the way. I, ju- I nearly bought that before I went to the Custom 24. I was like, that the SE version is, I think, the best bang for buck guitar you can buy. Mm. I think it's oh, great. It I do love the S2, which is a little bit more. I think that's pre- pretty much a Custom 24, but without the kind of fancy woodwork and stuff. It's right. The, but those two budget models, but the SE blew me away when I played it. I almost, I almost went for it. And the only reason I went for the Custom 24 is because I'd been wanting it for about 15 years. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. You know, it was just burning a hole in my pocket almost. I was like, I'm doing it because if I don't do it now, I'm going to regret it and never buy it. So, Absolutely. Um, all right. So let's let's go to pedals. What's your favorite pedal and why? Favorite pedal. I have a couple of favorites. My go-to pedal at the moment, I love, there's a, Digitech Whammy DT, which I love because it's got very accurate kind of pitch dropping. So mm-hmm. I was in when I was in Wheel at Humans doing more live stuff. Um, we went to a period where there was just the two of us, myself and the drummer, and it was just I got this pedal and was like, "Look, this pedal's great." And I was dropping things down like six semitones, and it was just getting rid of that need for a bass player. Uh, eventually, we mm-hmm. got one on board, but um, I loved the the tone of that, and I always from the Satriani days, always thought I would get one and never got a whammy pedal, but this one kind of does everything. It can do like harmonizing. Um, it just opens up so much creativity as a single guitar player when you're just kind of jamming and playing. I really, really like it. And you can kind of get a little side foot switch. So when you're playing live, you can kind of switch through controls quickly and you have to fiddle the knobs and stuff. So I, th- I think that's a great pedal for kind of creativity and going through harmony and uh playing with yourself but also the pitch shifting like playing in bands where you want to like drop down like some some singers want to drop down a bit whereas i i don't have to detune i'll just switch and it goes right, down right. And it's, it's really accurate and sounds awesome like the the low end that comes out of it is really accurate and tracks really well and i was surprised and it was only like i bought it second hand for like 80 quid or something it was it was incredible nice 
Um, and then the other one I have more, most fun with is the TC Electronic Mojo Mojo pedal. It's just, okay. it gives this, I saw uh, Paul Gilbert demo, demo yeah, it. I was, was going to say, yeah. It was, it's amazing. It just gives this kind of extra raunchy kind of distortion and you can tweak the bass and treble. And I only have it just on, but it just, it just has that kind of unique sound. It's, it's not just a stereotypical distortion or fuzz pedal. It's this kind of middle ground with a bit more mid bite and, I love it, and it's so. It was so cheap. It was like fifty bucks or something. It's it's so cheap mm. for the for what you get out of it. So I have so much fun playing with that pedal, and uh, I think I might do a review of it at some point because I only really want to review gear that's really excites me, and that pedal I've used all the time. So I love I love that pedal. How about you? What what do you use? That's fantastic. Um, so historically, I've always been into multi effects pedals up until I got the uh, Mark Dramonti head. Yeah. And uh, so I've still got my uh, my Boss GT Pro rack, hit, rack unit. Okay. I've got an 11 rack, which I don't really like, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and I've got an old ME50 Boss. I love Boss stuff. Yeah. And I, yeah, I love the pitch shift uh, pedal on that, the, uh, the Whammy, their version of the Whammy mm-hmm. pedal on it. Um, but now I've just started building up my pedal board. Um, so I got on, on, uh, the recommendation, uh, do you watch, uh, JHS, Josh yep. Scott's, uh, channel. So he was going through all the Behringer pedals mm-hmm. and I, I'm like, I've got to get a, uh, the pitch shift one. Oh, the no, TS seven, TS eight Oh eight or whichever one I've got to get, I've got to get one of those. And he said, basically his video put a rare one along with the, um, the Behringer version, and he's mm-hmm. like, it's the same circuit. So I'm like, okay, twenty five bucks. I'm good. I'm not. I'm not playing live. I wouldn't recommend it for live work because it's a plastic case. Yeah. It'll it'll get destroyed. But sound wise, it's it's awesome. It does exactly what it's meant to. Um, I've got a big. I've got the big muff. Um, the one with the the uh, the little tone selector switch on it. I've yeah. forgotten the the number on it. Um, and then the my bet the best pedal I have is Paul Gilbert's uh, airplane flanger. I love the takeoff effect on it. It's it's just so much fun. Yeah, I've seen the demo, um, and yeah, no, I I almost got one of them. So you enticing me to yeah, get one. You, but you the the, the reason I started getting into pedals is just because I could as soon as I got that amp, it's so clean sounding. Mm-hmm. I could hear all the the digital artifacts. I'm like, I just can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have to get pedals and I have to like turn them on one by one to make sure it's not affecting the tone of the amp. Cause I like the amp so much. So I've turned yeah, into hard. this kind of pedal junkie. I, 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 I used a lot of the Bay Ringer stuff years ago. And the reason I didn't keep them is because I used them live a lot and they didn't hold up as well. So mm. I had the input jacks kind of breaking and stuff, but I was quite an aggressive jumping around kind of player. So if someone used it normally, that wouldn't probably happen. But um, I was right. bit, probably a bit too flamboyant with my playing. But I, I agree. Like I had the pitch shifter Bay Ringer. It was great. And the noise canceller, which was a great cheap noise redu- reduction thing. Same price as, as that, really. So Bay Ringer go do some really, really good stuff. So if you if you kind of have to budget pedals, don't overlook them. Mm, they're, um, they're, they're perfect for yeah. that, yeah. Um, I mean, the other I've got a few of the um, – what's the New York company? I, I'm having a spectacular brain fart today. <laughs> I've got a cathedral, and okay. uh, what's that company? What? Based out of New York, Electroharmonics. Yes, thank you, yeah. EHX. So I've got, I've got a, um, I've got the cathedral pedal. I've got their noise gate. I got that because I was going after the um, 
the Canadian brand. I'm really doing badly today. But yeah, so there's the Canadian brand that everyone says that's the best noise gate. You know, although England says it's the best one. Um, And I didn't have 260 bucks. So I got a used uh, Electro Harmonics uh, noise canceller and it's actually, it's really good. So Ah. um, probably not going to end up spending the money just yet. Um, I'm in the market for them. So I'm quite interested to hear about that because I've been, I end up getting either an NS2 and then I saw the TCA Electronic Sentry was there, and I'm edging towards that. I know it's a bit more expensive, mm. but I do like TC stuff. Um, but I mm. had I had a decimator too, the ISP one, and it mm-hmm. made some really nasty noises when you shut it off. Right. Okay. I don't know if the unit was bad, or I just mm-hmm. I just didn't care for it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, the 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 EH, EHX one's really good. Um, cool. Yeah. So, and I got, I've got a. Um, a dime crybaby have to yeah. get dime bag stuff. Um, so that's that, that's it was between that one on the Petrucci one. And I'm like, I think the Petrucci one's just overkill. There's so much on it. Yeah. So, you know, I got to have a dime pedal. So no, I, I enjoy was, so, yeah. I've got a, a Vox wire pedal and I do like that. It's got more of a quack kind of sound to it. Quite more old fashioned, mm-hmm. more of a Hendrix type open wire swinging and wide open. Uh, I had a bad horsey one for a while from Steve I and just didn't really get on with it. It was just I, a, I had one way back and I didn't like it either. It didn't work. I had a nightmare and it kept going back and forth to them to get fixed and then I ended up fixing it myself and then I just couldn't be bothered. It wasn't great. It kind of uh, yeah, it didn't turn on when I wanted to and when it's doing stuff mm. like that, it's unusable live. You just end up getting annoyed. So yeah, I try to keep it simple. So yeah, the dime ones have always interested me. But yeah, absolutely. So all right, so. I get to a point where I, I ask uh, non-quickfire questions in my interviews. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so take that as you uh, how you will. So what significant negative experience have you overcome and what did it teach you? Oh, God. Um, the most significant ne- negative experience in my life was probably my, my grandfather passing away. Mm. And it was a few years ago. Um and it was it was it hit me quite hard because it was very much he was a very big inspiration to me musically and he wasn't a very musical player but he loved music so mm. as a kid i picked up the piano first at like age 6 or 7 uh, or keyboard in this in his house but we had this kind of keyboard book and he would just sit and listen to me play and give me feedback as and and listen and that was the main thing i wanted so that was a big thing it was very hard for me um but what I kind of learned from that thing is more of a reflection on the way he did things and the way he kind of interacted with people. He was very sociable, he was very happy to meet and chat to anybody. And it's just taking that that kind of thought process. And I was kind of a very introvert, introverted person, and I still am a little bit, but I'm always fighting to talk to more people because I think you learn so much and you just be, mm. you're just happier. I, I just found that develop, developing myself that way and taking his kind of not really teachings i just learned by watching him do stuff and just realizing that he was just well well respected and had a lot of time for people had a lot of time for family um so there was that side and then just taking time out of your life to spend with the people you care about and and connect with people uh more regularly it it was just just kind of simple as that really so if i had to come with something like that thank you for sharing that um, and then what major positive experience has given you the encouragement to follow this as a, as a journey, whether that be music or whether that be 
you know, whatever whatever you want to, you know, answer about. Positive experience. Um, in terms of guitar playing. It's up to you. Uh, uh, I mean, it's hard not to be like have. I have positive experiences every weekend when I go to the Rockies in the, in in Canada. Um, I'm a very at home in nature, in the wilderness, outside, and it's always a positive experience. And it's always just good to go out and reset yourself and take time to be alone. I find that's very important um, to just go out and I'll go out on my kayak on a lake and just float around and paddle around and just take it all in and be in a place that's so much bigger. So that really is a positive experience that I have all the time. So it's not really one thing, but that really keeps me going and makes me feel that, yeah, I can do this. I've got things to contribute and people like what I'm doing and it just kind of brings you back down to be a bit more humble. So it's it's just nice to be reminded how small you are sometimes and that, that does that for me. So Fantastic. Thank you. Finally, what does music mean to you? Music. If I was asked this and I had to give a quick answer, it would be music music means everything to me like music is everything like it's just the way people come together people have it in common you can meet people that you've never met before through music like we are um and just i just think it's so such an important part of life and i just think that if we could all give more time towards music supporting people that create music and add more of a focus on that side of things the world will be a better place. Not that it's doom and gloom now, but I just think we would be even better off. I think that music is music is everything to me. I just I talk about it all the time. I think about it all the time, and it's not to ever create, you know, a kind of uh, existence that's like famous. I don't want to be famous. It's mm. it's very much like I couldn't think of anything else I would want to be doing. It's just I wake up, I want to play my guitar, or I want to talk about this. Is this music related, or I want to sing, or write a song, or write a riff. It's 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 just that that it just means everything. I'm always thinking about it, and yeah, it's I'm so glad it's here. <laughs> Fantastic, couldn't agree more. Well, awesome. So, if people um want to get in touch with you and find out about your podcast, about your YouTube channel, where do they go? Okay, so Fret Success is easy to, easy to find. So you can search for it on YouTube, um, search for it on Google. My podcast is the Fret Success Guitar Show, um. So there's free lessons on there. Uh, you can email me at learn at fretsuccess.com. And I'm all over the place. So Instagram, LinkedIn, even if you want to, that's how we connected. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, you'll find me Fret Success, and feel free to reach out. Absolutely just want to talk to anyone and chat about anyone, uh, anything that's to do with guitar music or recording. Absolutely. So yeah, that's, that's me. Fantastic. Um, and at the end, I like to play a song um, from the artist I'm, I'm interviewing. So what song would you like me to play? My recent single, it's doing really well. I'm getting great feedback and it's quite overwhelming because it's normally just trickles along and people say, yeah, it's great. It's great. But this one, people are coming out of the woodwork I haven't heard from for years are saying, oh, this song's great. I love it. So it's a bit of a different style, a bit of a different sound, more acoustic, more kind of John Mayer type singer songwriter type thing whereas I normally go for the harder rock kind of blues type stuff. So this song is called I'd Still Be Me, and it's um, about kind of not letting people judge you too much and not caring, and even they try to make you change the way you are. Well, you might you might perceive that that's what you want to do, but at the end of the day, no matter what you change, whoever you, whatever you do, I just thought I'll still be me. That's who I am, and you just got to 
celebrate that and push it. So that is what this song about. And yeah, it means a lot to me. So thanks for playing, Simon. Awesome. No problem. Thank you very much for taking the time um, to talk to me today. And, uh, you know, I wish you continued success and definitely stay in touch. Thanks, Simon. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, as always, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, then I'd be extremely grateful if you would. I have added a page on musiconyourownterms.com to allow you to do just that. On that page, I have added some eBay affiliate links to equipment I use on the podcast. If you buy anything from eBay with these links, then I earn a commission which really helps me continue to provide this great content to you, the listener. Stay up to date with the podcast and find out who I'll be interviewing in upcoming episodes before they air by signing up for the mailing list at musiconyourownterms.com. On the site, you'll also find show notes for every episode, some pretty cool videos to check out from various guests, and also links to their music and social media if you want to find out more. While you're there, don't forget to take a peek at the store and pick up something for your grandma. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is Dan Clayton with I'd Still Be Me. If I had another chance Would I do it all the same? Would I think differently? Probably But I'd still be me Oh, I'd still be me If I had something more to say Something to make it all okay I could say it out loud, probably But I'd still be me Oh, I'd still be me If I took my time And I cherished me all that while I could think easily, probably But I'd still be me Oh, I'd still be me What I do that defines me, oh no It's not what you see that defines me, oh no It's not who they think that I am that defines me It's only who I am, yeah baby Yeah, that's just me Would I do 
it all the same Would I think differently? Probably But I'd still be 